How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jensey. Tim, I couldn't help but notice your hair is a little bit shorter this week. What's going on here, man? I got a haircut like three weeks ago. Really? <laughs> this now? Yes. God, I really am a guy, aren't I? I'm like, oh. I mean, I don't think anyone actually noticed outside of Chelsea. So. Yeah, looks good though. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you've got like the, like the Tom Bree circa 2005 thing going. All you need is like the stubble. That's all you need. <laughs> I like being clean shaven. You know what? Actually, so do I. And I think the reason why is because I'm. So... It's it's funny if you see me and I haven't shaved for like a week. You can definitely tell where I can't grow hair on my face. <laughs> like patchy here, I'm patchy there. It, there's just certain patches on my face where you can tell, which is sad because my family's Scottish and Scottish people are known for beards. But I think that's a, I think it's a Gibson thing. There's not a single guy on my side of the family that can grow a beard. I just don't. I just don't like it because I find stubble just it gets itchy, and I could only imagine like facial hair would feel like even if well-groomed you know what i think facial hair i think is one of those things where i'm sure you probably get used to it though yeah get to a point where it just doesn't bother you anymore so i guess well i guess it's probably like hair anywhere else you just get used to it exactly i don't know if i could see you with a beard though i don't i can't see me with a beard maybe a mustache mm. no no, I can't see it. But no, I just prefer the clean-shaven look. I guess it's also just stubble is always the worst part because it's always it's always just going to be irritated. Yeah. Like, that's actually the worst part of shaving your legs is the regrowth. Imagine, like, how annoying, like, chin stubble gets. Put that, put that all the way up your legs. Oh, and you have to put... And you have to put pants on it. Oh, that's even worse. That's even worse. I find yeah. with my with armpits because I don't have any hair in my armpits because yeah. I think I'm I'm the rare guy. I think armpit hair is fucking disgusting. I keep mine trimmed. Yeah, I don't. I just like I'm too lazy. I'll just like oh, so it looks better anyway. So. Honestly, yeah. But uh, yeah, I I still remember uh, the last time I did a cosplay at Anime Expo. Oh, I got really bad razor burn, like. I did a touch up the day before and it was bleeding. Oh, and that and you were in which cosplay were you doing? Uh so I was doing uh two from Macross Frontier, Cheryl Ronka. So I was gonna say, was it one of the I had, ones? Yeah. So I had to shave and the Cheryl one, it was basically it was a more casual outfit, so it was booty shorts with uh thigh highs. So I had to but the wrong the other character, she was wearing like a like a schoolgirl length pleated skirt with uh, knee socks. So it was like, well, I have to shape the whole, fu- I have to shape the whole leg. Oh my God. You know what I remember? It was just like, when I think of guys shaving their legs, do you remember that episode of that 70s show where Kelso shaved his legs? So all the characters started calling them tater nuts. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, that's such a good episode, man. Although I imagine like if I kept, if you kept up with the shaving, it probably wouldn't be so bad because like the opposite side of the coin, I'm sure every guy listening to this podcast could feel this is when your leg hair gets knotted, 
like you just brush it against your pants like pulling on your pants weird and i used to wear a lot of like tight fitting jeans so like it would happen all the time it would just be like this is a stupid pain that's just gonna bother me for the rest of the day or you wear wool socks and they get caught when you pull them down oh yeah oh god it's just the worst him but i'll tell you what's not the worst him is our cover athlete for today's episode, Season 6, Episode 16, in chronological order, Episode 140, the Patrick Laleem edition of the Third Line Plug, Sensecast. So, just a little background about Patrick Laleem. He was drafted 156th overall by the Pittsburgh Penguins in 1993. He played 12 seasons in the NHL with five teams, the Pittsburgh Penguins, Ottawa Senators, St. Louis Blues, Chicago Blackhawks, and the Buffalo Sabres, Recording a 200, 174, and 48 record with a .905 save percentage. And he went on to play five seasons with the Ottawa Senators, recording a 146, 130 record, and a .908 save percentage. When talking about Patrick Lean Tim, it's a real shame that I think when you look back on his tenure in Ottawa, it's always going to remember for the soft goals he let in because Patrick Lean was a really good goaltender when he was with the Ottawa Senators. Yeah, and he kind of fell apart when he was in Philadelphia. And it it's tough because it's like there's probably a few key ones, especially like 0304 that kind of defined his legacy. But yeah, Laline kind of was that first rock for the Senators there. He was. He definitely was the first long-term starter that the Senators had because up until then the Senators mostly had one-year goaltenders right up until little Tugnut and Rhodes came along, and you had the duo up until 2000 when Tom Barrasso came along. And I think it's really cool because you know, when Tugger was traded to Pittsburgh, there was actually, an, I believe it was an earlier trade or a signing, Patrick William came over in Pittsburgh. So it's kind of a cool thing. And like Pittsburgh and Ottawa, for whatever reason, we always seem to swap goaltenders. So I think that's <laughs> a neat thing. But Patrick Laleem's tenure, he definitely was the first long-term situ- situation for the Senators. And, I mean, like I said, 146, 130 record. Think of it. I mean, you think of all the goaltenders we've had from the late Ray Emery, Dominic Hasek, go down the list. The only guy who you could honestly make a claim, and it's a very safe argument, who was actually better was Craig Anderson. And it's actually debatable whether Craig Anderson was a more talented goaltender or he just had the more success. I don't know. Like, like he was a workhorse and he was talented. But when you think about it, Patrick Lee made some saves in those early 2000s that you just like, wow, like this guy. But was- then again, think about some of the stuff that Craig Anderson did to hold Ottawa into playoff games. They really had no business being in, right? Yeah, no, he was a total workhorse for the Senators, and that's kind of what they needed, right? Like, he was, and he obviously was the next long-term guy that came along, even though there were goalies trying to take a spot. We've talked about this in the past, but for Patrick Laleem, like I said, I mean, you look back at his tenure, it's a shame that his legacy will be defined by the soft goals he let in in Game 7 of 2004, but I th- feel that outside of that, his defining legacy as an Ottawa Senator, the goalie mask. Oh, the Martian? Marvin the Martian. You got to there's a whole Twitter account dedicated. That's probably the one of the first ones I would have Hey, made. if Anton Forsberg establishes himself as a long-term Ottawa goalie, which is 
at this point in his career entirely possible the horny dog is gonna get one i'm surprised there isn't yet he just hasn't had a chance to stick it you think of all of the simp accounts on twitter who are basically about players but Lalim's martian will always be one of the best yeah but also just the horny dog is so funny it is so funny. But I think for me, what when going back to the, the Marvin the Martian mask, I think the one thing that really stands out for me and why I think it's looked back at so fondly, one is because of Lodim's tenure in Ottawa and the success yeah. he had, but because when you really look back on the time that he was doing that, I think that was where you really noticed goalies really tried to make something cool out of their goalie masks. Mm-hmm. This is a trend that started in the 90s. Like, this was definitely, like, Eddie Belfour is one of the first guys I think of with the American, the Screaming Eagle. You think of Curtis Joseph with the dog. Kirk McLean had the dragon on it. Like, some of the really, really cool designs. But there's just something so different about the Martian mask. Yeah, it's got an identity, right? And I think that's kind of the key to it. Because, like, think of some of the other, like, odd masks that the senators had like the hamburglar where the hamburglar is alfred e newman from mad magazine like what is that it's it's awesome but it's like that is not a thing i would that's not two things i would have put together to wear on my face when people are shooting pucks at me no like it would be really cool if he had say mayor mick cheese that would be cool yeah but like that's just such a unique combination. Or there's that time Ilya Brizgalov had characters from Sonic Adventure on his mask. And it wasn't even like Sonic. It was like Shadow and Takal. So like about as obscure of a cut as you could go with. And that's just what Cool Breeze went with. Oh my god, I know, right? The only... Actually, one of the more cooler masks I think that people tend to forget is Martin Gerber had the all-black one. It was named Darth Gerber. Oh yeah, that one was weird. It was okay. Actually, when talking about really weird masks, do you recall back in the day in the early 90s where there were some goalies for whatever reason they had like the Jofa mask that had the giant cage in front of it that came down to here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. like Tommy Soderstrom was one of those guys. I always remember Tommy Soderstrom had one of those. I think Tommy Sallow had one of those back in the day, but there was just some masks that were so odd looking. Like, I remember, um. He played for Ottawa. Don Pulfrey. Don Pulfrey had this really oddly shaped mask. It almost looked like if you're looking at a skull front on, like, you know, like the skull emoji. Yeah. It looked kind of like that and was really odd. If I'm thinking of the right mask. Yeah. I'm going to quickly bring this up. Yes. I think, you know, I know exactly what you're talking about. Let's see here. Tommy. Tommy, Craig, Tommy, so excuse me. It was there. It is. Yeah, that is a like those Jofa masks were. It like it kind it kind of looks like the Hashik mask too. It does. When I look when I look at those, the only thing I think of is there's no way those are legal. How did the NHL look at that in the 90s and be like, yeah, that's fine. How did the NHL look at a guy not wearing a helmet in the 80s and be like, yeah, yeah, whatever. 
Well, it was kind of different. The guys were grandfathered in. Yeah, but it's still like, <laughs> it's one of those things where you're like, are you for real? One puck to the head and that guy could die. Hey, I mean, goalies took pucks to the face all the time back before masks came along. Yeah. And you know how many of them died? None. They just didn't play enough games. That's right. And teams had to forfeit games if a goalie didn't play because they didn't have a backup. Right. The old NHL was wild. God, it was weird, wasn't it? Well, it's like, it's amazing something didn't happen. Or maybe it is just, well, I guess, how many games were they playing in a season? Uh, good question. Because, like, I think in over an 82-game season with 32 teams, you would start to see the no-helmet injuries really pile up, even in one season in the modern league, because you're looking at about 2,000 games. Sorry, almost 20, probably 2,600 games at this point. <laughs> Excuse me. Okay, I'm just quickly looking up how many games... 32 times. Oh, my God. Okay, so back... This is in 1958-59. There were 70 games. Okay, I'm by six teams. Six teams. Yeah, so it's like... There's definitely far more hockey being played in the NHL nowadays. Yeah. That was definitely like when we had the bubble year and everybody played each other like 10 times. Yeah, and it was like... You know what? I don't think I could have been a hockey fan back then. No, we only got a taste of it during the COVID year. That was just, God, that's just so draining. You're like, ugh, we got to play Edmonton again. We have to play Winnipeg again. again. Oh, it's just the worst, wasn't it? Yeah, like, I couldn't imagine just, oh, it's time for the Red Wings for your sixth week in a row. I know, but I, the leads were fucking crazy, but... yeah. I guess it's like different stokes for different folks, but that's not for me. No, absolutely not, Tim. You know, it's funny because, I mean, I could sit here and talk about Patrick Laleem all night, Tim, but we're only delaying the inevitable that we got to announce next week's cover athlete for Season 6, Episode 17, in chronological order, Episode 141. And, of course, this is a gentleman that we've mentioned a couple of times talking about Patrick Laleem. Craig Anderson is going to be our cover athlete for next week's episode. I mean... Good times. You know what's funny? I actually was looking it up on on Google. I'm trying to remember. I, I apologize. I'm trying to think of a site that has like all the sends information for like their jersey numbers and stuff. Yeah. There's only like three players at War 41, and one of them was Jonathan Chichu. <laughs> that was such a weird, weird time to be a Sens fan. Right? Oh my god. But no, Patrick or Craig Anderson, definitely the guy that you gotta go for number 141 i'm sticking with it tim yeah no that's fair that's fair I mean, if it was jonathan chichu i mean we could talk about jonathan chichu no problem it would talk about his 56 goal season in 0506 and then he just dropped off a cliff yeah and then uh he came to ottawa and did nothing did nothing but the trade wasn't too bad because it turned out danny heatley did the same damn thing almost a year later yeah, and we got Milan McCulloch out of that, who was actually not bad when he was healthy. Yeah, and we turned that second into Andy Sutton, which got us one of the best moments in se Senator's history. Well, I mean, Tim, are you asking me or are you telling me? I'm telling you. So you're an expert? I was there. So you're an expert? Yes. So you said you saw it, you said you were there, and you know yep. you're an expert? Yep. You're not, you're not an expert. Yeah. <laughs> what if Andy Sutton wasn't a jerk? 
Remember, I love those old NHL commercials from 2010. Those what if commercials? Yeah. I really, you know, it's really a shame that the NHL doesn't put as much time and effort into the commercials anymore. Because remember when we came out of the lockout in 2005, how great that string of three years, three or four years were for commercials? Oh, yeah. Actually, just goaded. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if they could ever be talked. I think, do you think maybe because a lot of the guys actually had personality or did the NHL allow them to have personality? I think the NHL was trying to sell the personality angle. Yeah. Like, I think that was one of the things that they identified as a success factor for the NBA, where it was just the players had just this insane amount of personality to them. I think they've gone away from that in TV advertising because the players just do it themselves on Instagram. Oh my god, I know the sense players on Instagram is so great. So I think that's probably what happens. So like the ads you see are more general. Mm-hmm. Although it's like the golden age ads aren't too bad. Yeah, the golden age ones are good, but I just get a sense that I think the NHL is tr- wanting or trying to get back to that, and the fans are pushing back. Yeah, They're like no, I, I mean, those. That rut of ads from like 2005 to 2010 were very good. And they were creative. Like the Ovechkin in the locker. Yes, or when they were in the hotel. Yeah, so it's like, I'd like them to try again because like, they did, they did well when they tried. Yeah. Yeah, so it's like, yeah, give it another go. Yeah, I mean, hell, they put all the, all the cards in the table, chips in because... They had to do something coming out of that lockout. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God, those commercials were great, Tim. But you know what's also great, Tim? It's me asking the question that fans love knowing every single week. How's your week been going, man? Pretty good. Chelsea had some of her friends over uh, last night, so I decided to try a recipe out of Companies Coming. Okay, what kind of recipe are you trying? So we made Cornish pasties. What's a Cornish pasty? So it's, imagine like a little hand meat pie. And uh, it's got like... Sorry, I do know what you're talking about. Yeah, diced beef, diced potatoes, and turnips, and onions. It's really good. I I wasn't sure at first because like the recipe had like no spices in it other than salt and pepper. But of course, like your salt and pepper just works, right? Yeah, it's it's very simple. But it's like, it really enhanced kind of the flavor of the ingredients because they also she also called for two tablespoons of butter to cook the meat in. so like you hit up your frying pan throw the butter in then yeah. throw them throw the onions in to caramelize them then you throw in the then you throw in the meat then you throw in the potatoes and turnips to get them partially cooked then put them into the pastry let that cool then put that in the pastry and cook it for 20 minutes like it is they were really good. And then uh tried them with like a variety of different, like I tried them with like barbecue sauce, uh, some leftover gravy we had from Jolly Bee that I put in the freezer, ketchup, Dijon mustard. And I was like, oh, it's like, it all worked really well. So it's like, I think that's something that I'll probably keep in the repertoire. Because no, that's a good idea. The filling's dead simple to make other than prepping up the turnip. And if we don't want to go through the effort of making pie crust, we, the Pillsbury stuff works fine enough. Yeah. Or you just get little uh, hard shells. Yeah. But yeah, it's like 
So it's like it, you can make it as difficult or easy as you want because Chelsea also made some of her own pie crust. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to try the difference and both were good. So we can keep it, keep both as options if we want to make like a finger food for a party. No, that's definitely a good thing because like, a lot of parties definitely have a lot of the finger foods, obviously. Like I'm talking like a fucking idiot, but no, definitely having something that's very different, I think is a very, very good idea. So I'll tip my hat to you, man. That's a good idea. Yeah, and uh, like it actually wasn't too expensive to make either because you only need like a pound, like just like less than a pound of beef, an onion, a potato, and a turnip. Mm-hmm. Even with food prices, what they are, I spent 10 bucks on that and it fed six people plus leftovers. Yeah, that's pretty good, man. Like that, yeah, yeah no, that's great. Yeah, how much filling were you putting in there? Were you just putting like a as much as like like probably about yeah like like a kitchen spoonful maybe a bit less just because that's what was fitting in the pie shell once we because the recipe called for like a four inch diameter pie shell right then you just fold it over like an empanada uh we made them a bit bigger at four and a half inch and then fold them over and that will take like about like a spoonful of your filling and then you just roll it over yeah give it a quick Give it an egg wash and then in the oven it goes. Yeah, no, that yeah, that sounds about right. That sounds about right. Cause I was thinking depending how if you use like a tart shell instead of making your own dough, like your own sort of stuff, then yeah, you would have to go much smaller just because of size of it and all. So yeah. but no, that's good to hear that you were having a good week, man. Yeah. And it's always cut it's funny because we've had so you know what company's coming is, right? Sorry, which? Sorry, you know what company is companies coming is, right? So it's these famous sets of recipe books that have been, I think, written and printed in Canada since the 30s. Like the first edition started coming out during the Great Depression. Then it went to from the mother to the daughter. And then she greatly expanded it from the 50s through the 80s. I want to say that I'm familiar with it, but I can't, I can't place it. Yeah, because we got Chelsea's grandmother's set of companies coming. And this is the first time we actually used it. That's not bad. Yeah, and I think uh, the daughter passed away just this year. Oh, shitty. She was like 97. Okay. She was just, she was living life on good cooking. And that's all you can do, man. I know Katrina actually made a, it wasn't a Betty. It was a um, apple crumble. She made an apple crumble and it was just a, it was it came in this book that i guess she got from a customer at the store or through her family she's looking at it she goes oh yeah that looks so easy it was essentially what the fuck was it it was like cake mix a can of apples brown sugar and walnuts and we tried it and we're just like oh my god her and I looked at each other like oh my god this god. is like i'm amazed i did not if it wasn't the fact that i'm slimming down right now i <laughs> probably ate the whole thing to myself no that sounds really good yeah because we're going to a super bowl party next weekend and we're kind of cons- we're just kind of thinking about what we want to bring and i considered bringing the getting katrina to make that apple the apple crisp but it's like it's that... mostly adults. Like there won't be really any kids there because we went to a. I went to the my fantasy draft party. <clears throat> Scooted back in August. It was August? Yeah, I think it was like first week of September. 
and yeah she brought cupcakes and it went by quick but there was like kids everywhere so well it's like i i find sweet like adults will take sweets too right but is apple crumble a super bowl food because like i'm thinking when i think of what i usually do for the super bowl it's like i make sure it's something that someone someone can like go to the kitchen grab put on and be able to eat in front of the tv without feeling like an idiot yeah and that's what i'm thinking right because we were i was thinking about that too i was like plus there's always going to be tons of appies and finger foods and crap so but we're trying to but she's wanting to do more something sweet so that's more her thing so we'll have i'll have we'll have to figure that out on our end i wonder if you could oh i wonder if you could make like a cake like uh like take that apple crumble glaze it and make it into a cake pop Ooh, okay that could work okay i'll have to i'll have to mention this to her that's a good idea because I know last year she made cupcakes and it was actually really cool because she made like a batch of cupcakes. She evenly, even number down the middle. One was black icing for Cincinnati and the other, I think was blue and yellow for the Rams. Oh, neat. So that was kind of cool. And now that, cause she was looking up the Eagles colors, She's like, is that green? Is that teal? And I was like, I don't think it's teal because teal is like the sharks. Yeah. Well, I guess it's what's a, the official definition? I, I think it's called a midnight green. I think that's the I think that's the term that she brought it up. Yeah, let's see. They are midnight green, silver, black, and white. Midnight, it's like a deep green. Yeah. It's like a deep but soft green. The worst thing is, is I'm probably going to go look up the color code for this fucker. Let's see. Midnight green is a dark shade of green. It is also a dark shade of cyan. So it's in the cyan color. It's on the edge of cyan and green with a quite deep color. Oh, okay. Uh, with variations that are more green and variations that are more cyan. So like, if you take midnight green and make it a little less dark, Mm-hmm. You would get the yeah, you would get the sharks color. Yeah, no, I think I think for the eagles you would do for the definitely do a dark green. For yeah. Sure. Um, what other colors do you have that are close to midnight green? I guess like Columbia green, emerald green, turk like some viridian. Yeah. I hate colors so much sometimes. No, you're talking like the color green, right, Tim? Well, just like, so sometimes when I'm doing like some of my stats work, even like hobbyist stuff, I'll be making charts and it'll be like, okay, I want to, I want to make a pie chart that has like 15 different, oh, 15 things, right? It's really hard to have more than 10 because then the colors start looking the same. Yeah. It's only the variations on darker or lighter. Yeah. Because the human eyes actually kind of bad. At telling apart two different colors when you have a bunch of them. Fair enough. So I do want to talk a little bit about my week, Tim. Now, I do gonna make a comment right out of the gate that I was sick, unfortunately, this week, and I'm I finally got over it yesterday. So I'm feeling better. I'm here, it's all good. Given that I was in bed for a couple of days, I was watching some YouTube stuff. I really went down the rabbit hole of 
like biographies on like famous people. Oh, okay. And that was kind of neat. So I was watching a bit of that. I watched a, a documentary on Nardward. If you remember who Nardward is, the human servant. Yeah. And it's funny. I don't know why. I remember. I'm old enough remember when he was on Much Music. I remember some of the interviews he did with musicians back in the day. And he was just so odd it, to me. He was just like, he was such a weird oddball. I, I know he's from Vancouver and everything, but I was watching a documentary on him. And actually I was talking to the guys at work about that today. And he was telling me a story. He says, yeah, it's funny when he was working as a cook in Vancouver, he was in the back alley. I want to say it backed onto the, the Orpheum. Uh-huh. In Vancouver, and there was fucking Nardwar doing an interview. Huh. He's like, oh, yeah, there's Nardwar. It's weird. Yeah. But other than that, I do want to talk a little bit about something, though, Tim, that finally came out this week. Because, you know, last week I was talking about how excited I was over the GoldenEye 007 remake. Yep. Or remaster, I should say, not remake. There was something else from my childhood that announced that's coming back this week, Tim. And that is the okay. reboot of King of the Hill. Ooh. Okay. It's official. Hulu has ordered the, the reboot of King of the Hill. And you know what? King of the Hill is an interesting show, Tim. Because yeah. we've talked about it on the show here. And I look, when I look back on King of the Hill, people who are our age that watched it, I we fully did not appreciate how good the show really was. We did. It was definitely a show that we watched for sure. I think it was because it came right before the Simpsons. I think we were just waiting for the Simpsons. Yeah. So a lot of us watched King of the Hill and a lot of the stuff went over our heads. And I, so I think it's a show that when it ended in 2009, it was a show was like, Oh, well, that sucks. <laughs> but then I think when we get older and we go back and rewatch the reruns of King of the Hill, and we realize how funny the show really was but even in the last seven six seven years all the craziness that's gone on in the world man you would think how would king of the hill tackle this well how would mike judge play with it well it's like i i'm not gonna lie i didn't watch any of mike mike judge's shows after king of the hill like he had like the neighbors and a few others that i just never really got into so, well, it'll be interesting to see how Mike Judge's style has evolved since then. Yeah, because it's interesting because Mike Judge is one of those guys. Like, I'm a huge, I love, I love Mike Judge's work. Office Space is one of my favorite movies. I love that. Even though I haven't, haven't seen Idiocracy, I've heard it's, I've heard it's fantastic. I think there was there was another movie he did after. It was like right, it was like a couple of years before King of the Hill came off the air that he did with. Jason Bateman. Right. I think I watched part of it. I can't remember the name of it. So it would be very interesting to see how he definitely tackles it because he had this very interesting way of tackling trends of the time in the late 90s or the 2000s, whether it be boy bands, the changing social econ and, you know, the economics and social, yeah. everything that changed after with Hank Hill. It would be very interesting to see how Hank Hill would be in a world with cancel culture, woke people, COVID, like it would be a very interesting show, especially with social media now being the way it is. It would be interesting to see how King of the Hill would tackle it. Yeah. I think my judge, I think, would be one of those guys who I think would be critical, but I think he would be fair. 
Yeah. He seems like he would try to aim right down the middle. I think so. Yeah, in, in a different way that I think South Park definitely did, where you could definitely tell we're very lean from the writing standpoint. Well, it's funny because, like, South Park, they would, like, tip the lean the other way as soon as they heard a congressperson quote them. So you could see, like, oh, a Democrat quote. You could, like, look, it's like, oh, it's going that it's going left. Oh, a Democrat quote of them. It's going right up. Oh, a Republican quote of them. It's going left again. Up, up, up. <laughs> like you can def like you can definitely kind of see where their targets were because like early on you kind of had like kind of more war hawks were the target, and then they started getting kind of quote on the left. Then all of a sudden you get like episodes like Man Bear like Man Bear Pig Saddam Saddam actually like going to hell and dating satan mm. and then like republicans start quoting them so they go back they they kind of start just being a bit more silly with things like imagination world guitar hero <laughs> then all of a sudden you get them done like hillary clinton has the snook upper sniz obama's telling people to help cover up for tiger woods don't shit don't don't be a turd to the punch bowl <laughs> And then you kind of got like the cancel culture episodes, but then you got Mr. Garrison as Trump. And then I just haven't really paid attention to the show since then. But you can definitely see it's like every time it started to get popular with a wide group. Oh, crap. We've gone too far. Bup, 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 bup. Oh, like it was a balancing act. Yeah, no, I get that. But I think for myself, I think that's where I, I got to actually tip my hat to King of the Hill because they were just so grounded in what they were trying to say and the messages they were trying to get across that Mike Judge aimed for the middle and got it. Yeah. yeah. When you really look at the show, like you look at the setting, you look at the characters, I would say Arlen would probably be a very heavy Republican town. Oh, yeah. And like that's what's set to make fun of. Yeah. Exactly. And and that's where Hank Hill doesn't understand the left part of it, where when it comes to Democrats and hippies and whatever, I like there was an episode from like 20 plus years ago where Hank Hill was going to vote for George Bush and he decided not to because of a weak handshake. <laughs> that's where I think episodes like that really goes to show that they don't tip the scale in either direction. They go right for the middle because right. left for the audience to guess did hang vote left or right? Yeah. Well, I still like, I still remember the one episode where it's like, I forget what they were, de they were delivering to the commune. And it's like, Hank asks, like talks to one of the people there. It's like, Hey, can I borrow a cigarette? No fascist. This is the place. Sad thing is, is I know people like that. I know exactly what episode you're talking about too. <laughs> <laughs> Oh no, it was when uh, him and Bobby went fishing and the hippie commune shows up and goes, hey, can I have some money? No. Fascist. This is the place. <laughs> yeah. You know what's funny? Actually, three years ago when COVID first hit and we were in lockdown and everything, I wish I had learned how to write a script. Because it sounds crazy. I had an idea for a King of the Hill episode where they tackled COVID. Because this is the way I would look at it with the characters. Yeah. I would say, and people could, you know, at me if they want, 
this, it's nothing controversial. I think I would say, I would say Hank would be for it. Peggy would be the one who's completely gone insane. Yeah. One because they're in lockdown, but because of just the annoying fear. Yep. Bobby would be kind of in the middle. He'd be kind of questioning why his mom's is going crazy. I think he would love the fact that, all right, cool. I got into a school. Dale would be a total anti-vaxxer well, and a total he, like conspiracy theorist on you'd be like he already is. Yep, he would be that. I think Bill would be the one where he's like, Well, I don't I think Boomhauer definitely would be the one going, I don't know. I mean, that's up to you if you want to get it or not. I think Bill would definitely be the guy who goes, Well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I got the vaccine because I'm in the army, and that's all they let me do is cut hair. Yeah. Well, it's like I don't even know. Like, I like the fun conflict would just be Peggy losing her mind. Yeah. And then, or like, and then just like in the background, you'd have like Dale yelling just crazy shit over the fence. Yeah. And you know that part of the episode would be the persecution of Khan and Min because they're Asian and everybody in the town thinks it's because of the them that's why it's happening and stuff because that was part of the thing at the time it was but it's also like i'm not sure that's a tag i wonder how much of that tack mike judge would take yeah i know because it's like that whole uh like blaming it on the asian thing was super it was probably one of the weirdest things like i sort of experienced but not really because like it's no secret that a large part of my social group is Asian. Mm-hmm. And they blamed it on themselves. So what you kind of saw, like in the lead up to the pandemic is we'd go to these like eight, like Chinese restaurants that were often like packed, packed, packed. Usually, but like, like the month or so before the lockdowns came down, like before people even really cared about it that much. Mm-hmm. These places were ghost towns. Really? And, like, they were usually frequented by Cantonese, Korean, those, like, yeah, like, the large Asian diasporas and populations in Calgary. And they were, you could, like, places that you'd usually have to call ahead to get a table, you could just walk in with a party of 10 and seat immediately. Like, just wild stuff. So I think it, it's a complicated thing. Yeah. Yeah, no, it would have been interesting to see how Mike... I mean, obviously, it's three years later, so I, it's definitely not something that Mike Judge would tackle with King of the Hill, but I th- if King of the Hill was on in 2020, I think that would have been a very interesting thing to see how they would have tackled it, because I think they would have tackled it in a way that I think both sides could look at it and try to make sense of it. Yeah, well, I think it's also... Well, that's kind of the interesting thing about uh, a lot of other media avoided talking about it because it dates your thing so much yeah. and a lot especially in streaming like one of the worst things you can do is date your movie because then people are like yeah i don't want to watch that so yeah so like there's so like almost no tv shows or movies have like masking or anything like that and if you can't have that sort of imagery you can't really talk no about the pandemic can you there wasn't that one movie with daniel craig where he was the private investigator where they go to that island that movie was actually really good but 
So I do want to move away from King of the Hill for a second yeah. or seven. Now you remember about this time last year, we named Tom Brady one of our cover athletes. <laughs> Tom Brady just out of the blue just decides, yeah, I'm just gonna retire. I, by the way, did you get it? Did you see the video? Did you see his retirement video that he posted? That was no, I didn't. It was because it was him sitting on a beach, and he goes, "Hey guys." Tom here, just sitting here on the beach. You know, I'm just going to let you know that I'm retiring for good. Like, basically, it gave me vibes of, yeah, I'm retiring for good. Like, for realsies this time, I'm actually retiring. <laughs> I'm not coming back next year. Is is he share? I don't know. I mean, the only reason he came back is because I think he wanted... I mean, obviously, it cost him his marriage coming back of this past season. But it's funny when he announced his retirement and the first comment made you like, well, he can't divorce Giselle twice. Moreover, she can't divorce him twice. That's fair. <laughs> you know, when, when I look at Tom Brady last season, honestly, he should have just stayed retired because it's really sad when you watch a guy for 20 plus years in the NFL being one of the best quarterbacks of all time. And he makes everything look so effortless. And then you see him last season and it's amazing how cooked he looked. I wonder how much of that is like continued decline versus not complete conditioning. Yeah. But you know what, though? I, I look at back Tom Brady last season. You know what it really reminded me of? Do you remember when Brett Favre played for the Minnesota Vikings? The hell season? You remember 2009 when he went all the way to the NFC Championship game and he lost and he came back the next season and he was dog shit? Yeah. That's exactly what it reminded me of was Brett Favre, he stayed around one season too long. Yep. That's fair. But you know what? It's really sad when you look at the last of that great crop of quarterbacks over the last 20 years. And I'm talking from Ben Roethlisberger, Peyton Manning, Brady, Rod, uh, Rogers. I think he had an okay year, but Brett Favre, guys like that, Eli Manning, guys like this. When you really watch him and the last years of their careers, you watch him and you're just like, why are you still playing? Like, here's the thing. As much as I hate Ben Roth and I fucking hate Ben Roethlisberger with a passion. Yeah. He looked Terrible his last couple of seasons. This is a guy who literally just uh, just lugged the ball five yards. It was a struggle for him to do that. Eli Manning, who I think is the most one of the most overrated quarterbacks of all time. Just his throwing motion was so awkward to watch. It was like not in the way that Patrick Mahomes is kind of awkward to watch because Patrick's kind of like. Dominic Hossack in a weird way where he just, he does plays and makes moves that are so unconventional and unorthodox to make it work. Whereas I just think that Eli Manning was just such an odd looking quarterback when he threw Peyton Manning. That's a good one right here. Do you remember Peyton Manning's last season as a Bronco? Is this the Super Bowl fiasco? The Super Bowl year. That was the year they went all the way and they won. Do you, how many people remember he almost lost his starting job to Brock Osweiler? 
Yeah. The Broncos were so weird at quarterback for those few seasons, though. Remember Tebow? Yeah, I remember Tebow. Jeez. You know, had one of the worst. He was one of the worst throwing arms I've ever seen. He just kind of. He always looks like he reached all the way back and just tried to throw as hard as he could. Like, it was not pretty at all. But the thing is, even when Peyton goes to Denver, I can't criticize his tenure as a Bronco because he now holds the all-time touchdown list in a season with, I think, 55. Yeah. A stat that Tom Brady had with 50. And he had fucking Randy Moss throwing it to him. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, but Tom Brady, you know what? It's good on him. Like, it, it, I hope he really stays retired because I don't want him to. I don't want it to be like Brett Favre, where he retires, comes back, retires, comes back. Just, just stay retired. You are. We already have a new crop of quarterbacks that's great in the NFL right now. We have Mahomes. We have Josh Allen. We have Justin Herbert. We have guys like that in the NFL now. Yeah. We have Joe Burrow. We have Jalen Hurts right now. We have guys who are looking great. Yeah. He just, he doesn't have to be the guy. He really doesn't. He really, really doesn't. Oh, actually, okay, sorry. Going back to what I was saying earlier, you know how I was sick the last couple of days. Yeah. Or whatever. Okay, so it was funny. So Katrina and I were, we were watching TV and they had a commercial for OnlyFans. And so we're sitting on there. TV? Yeah, I don't think it was on TV. I think it was on YouTube. It might have been That's on, still it might have been YouTube. So there was an ad for OnlyFans. And it was a lady and she's cooking. And she's like, Yeah, I use OnlyFans so I can I can demonstrate my cooking skills and whatever and try to be an entrepreneur. And Katrina just looks over at me and she goes, Is OnlyFans really trying to make us believe that that's what it's used for? To be fair, like before the pandemic, that's what it was used for. But then there's this funny thing. If a service allows adult entertainment, that is all it will be used for. Like that's why most sites, like most big social media sites have either a hard ban or a soft ban on adult content. Twitter having (laughs) more of like a yeah, this stuff, this stuff probably won't get as much interaction. Sort of soft, push it down while like fit like Reddit put kind of puts the 18 stuff behind a wall. Uh, Twitter, sorry, Tumblr just banned it. Facebook doesn't accept it. YouTube bans it. So it's like, yeah, OnlyFans got taken over by that. Patreon used to have a lot more of it yeah well it's buying a paywall though yeah so it's like if you let it be there it will take over your platform yeah it's just like it's surprising i can't believe i'm quoting a movie from over 20 years ago it's like in jane son bob strikes back where ben affleck's talking about the internet he goes the internet is a it's a hub used by people around the world to uh, bitch about movies and share pornography with each other i mean yeah that is unfortunately what it is. Yeah. I guess we use it to bitch about sports. That's true, Tim. I mean, we also use this podcast to bitch about sports, too. And it's on the internet. That's true. But you know what we also use this podcast for, Tim? 
is to segue into this little segment I like to call Top of the Hour. That's smooth. Could I pat myself on the back? But that was a good one. That was a good one, Tim. So, Tim, even though we only got one game to talk about this week, we still got some news stories to talk about for top of the hour. And of course, starting off at top of the hour, we got to talk about a death. I'm not going to talk. I'm not going to talk about how it bothers me every time we got. <clears throat> excuse me. Fuck. <clears throat> You know, I'm not going to talk about how much I hate talking about death because I talk about it every single time I talk about yep. death. However, for this gentleman here, I think it's only appropriate that we start off top of the hour just because of what he meant to the NHL as a player. I mean, unless you want to ask people on social media what they think, but that's not the point. Chicago Blackhawks legend Bobby Hall passed away at the age of 84. Hall played 16 seasons in the NHL with three teams, the Chicago Blackhawks, Hartford Whalers, and Winnipeg Jets. Recording 610 goals, 560 assists for 1,170 points in 1,063 games, being named to 12 All-Star games, winning three Art Ross trophies, two Hart trophies, a Lady Bing, a Lester Patrick, and a Stanley Cup in 1961. Hall also spent seven seasons with the Winnipeg Jets of the WHA, recording 303 goals, 335 assists for 638 points in 411 games. So let's talk about Bobby Hall for a second here, Ted, because you know, Bobby Hall is one of these guys. When you look back on the original six era of the NHL, especially up here in Canada, a lot of people talk about the original six. It comes down to Toronto and Montreal. Yeah. That's where all the Stanley Cups were. That's where all the best players were. That's where all the records came out of. Okay, that makes sense. When people talk about the original six, it's fair that you talk about those two teams. There was four American teams that t- people talked about for sure, but not to the point of Toronto-Montreal. I think the team that gets talked about in that same vein is Detroit because you had Ted Lindsay, you had Terry Sawchuk, you had the great Gordy Howe who hold, who held most goals in the NHL, Joe Gretzky, and now Alexander Retschka is going to be pretty close. Yeah. But, excuse me. You know, you have that. Chicago is not a team. It's they're like the New York Rangers. They don't get talked about in the original six. It isn't until the post original six of the not so original 12 and beyond is when people really talk about the Rangers and the Blackhawks. But it's funny when you look back on the original six, because when talking about the Chicago Blackhawks outside of Stan Mikita and Tony, I guess Tony wasn't with the Blackhawks. The only other player that talk about is Bobby Hall. Bobby <clears throat> And Bobby Hall as a player is one of these guys who I think it isn't until you really look back, you realize what an impact he really had on the NHL. And you and I were talking about this before we hit record is that his deflection from the NHL to the WHA in 1972, where he got a million dollar signing bonus, which I think is funny because I, I saw an interview with him one time and he jokingly said to the Winnipeg Jets, he says, if you pay me a million dollars, I'll go play with you. <laughs> he said that as a joke, and they paid him that. That's incredible. And he's like, oh, shit. Okay, I guess you're going to pay me a million bucks. That's awesome. But it wasn't his deflection really forced the NHL to start rising their salaries. So that's a great thing when the Allen Eagleson stuff happening in the 1990s where 
all that all of it came out that he was screwing players out of their pension and he was defacing these players and doing whatever to them. And there was tons of players. I'm talking, I'm not talking like third line players. I'm talking Bobby Orr, Jean Beliveau. I'm talking like the big dogs. All told the Hockey Hall of Fame. If you keep Alan Eagleson in the Hall of Fame, take us out. Yeah. Just nutty stuff. But unfortunately, it's he is a complicated character. He is. And we'll definitely talk about that here in a few minutes, Tim. But I do want to talk about him as a player because Bobby Hall is one of those guys who I would say definitely outside of Gordy Howe, he definitely was one of the big faces of the NHL in America. Yeah. I mean, like Stan Makita, he was one of the first guys to use a curve stick, which is really funny. If you ever look at like a picture of one of his sticks when he played, it was like that. It was like a C, yeah. It was insane how curved that thing was. It looked like a banana. That's the best. <laughs> it, was, it was a banana curve. But the funny thing is, and it's interesting when you look back on those old pictures of the NHL in the 1950s and the 60s, the NHL for the longest time was using chain link. They weren't using glass. They were using chain link for the yep. When they went from chain link to plexiglass, Bobby Hall broke that with a slap shot. Oh, wow. That's how hard that guy shot. <whistles> Again, with the banana curve. <laughs> it's nuts. It is nuts. But here's the funny thing about Bobby Hall. I think that as great of a player as, as he was, there is an argument to be made that he got overshadowed by his son, Brett. Oh, yeah. And it was kind of insane, like, believe, like, they actually played at the same time, which was kind of nuts. At least for a bit. I or my, can, I thought they they had some overlap in their seasons. No, oh, I think you're thinking of Gordy Howe. I think I'm thinking of Howe, yeah. Yeah, Howe and his boys played together in Hartford. Yeah, but yeah, Brett Hall with two Stanley Cups. Two Stanley Cups, just all the awards, everything he has. But it was really cool. Like when he went to Phoenix, he actually wore his father's number nine. Mm-hmm. Mind you, he didn't play very long in Phoenix, but that's whatever. But yeah, Brad Hall was one of those guys that he was just such a big personality, like his dad, Bobby Hall. Bobby was such a big personality that was a fan favorite. You know, Again, I don't want to. This is one of the things when when Bobby Hall passed away, Tim. Normally, when players of this caliber pass away, you always want to talk about his achievements and all the great moments that he did for the NHL. But you made a great point there. Bobby Hall was very complicated. And I want to make this clear. I am not condoning what Bobby Hall did or said. I'm not advocating, I'm not doing anything, but you know what? Despite everything you said, I thought it was, and I want to get your take on this, I think the reaction on social media was really disgusting to watch. Because again, you realize, and this is the thing, are people, so, are people just finding this out about him? Everything about Bobby Hall has been common knowledge for the last 40 fucking years. I get that 
you know, on social, everybody wants to be, wants to be that person on social media that they go, yeah, no, this guy was an evil person. He was this, he was that. And the next thing, especially in the last several years, but you know, cancel culture being a thing and whatever. But again, the guy just passed away. How do you think his family feels when they open social media? And that's all they read about. Now, mind you, I get where and why people want to talk about it, but I feel that doing it right out of the gate was not the way to go. Yeah, I'm surprised people didn't wait a day. That's what I was thinking. I read all of that, and even people that we have following us on Twitter were going like, oh, yeah, Body Hall was a wife beater and a drunk and a Nazi sympathizer or whatever, and it was disgusting. It was disgusting to read it because it's like, the guy just fucking died. Give it, you're right, give it a fucking day or two before you do this. Well, it's like, I think we can contrast it with the way that Eugene Melnick's death was ha- handled, where it was like a day, it's like, yeah, he did these good things, and then a week later, you see the Pete in the athletics, like, yeah, but look at all the shitty shit he did. And yeah. I think that's the way to go. Y- you don't sweep the bat under the carpet. No. But like, get give him a day it's it's not like we're talking about like saddam hussein or hitler or someone where removing them from the planet is good like an un, such a strongly unallied good <laughs> like i think for someone who is did did good did bad yeah. even if they're on net bad if they're not like killing hundreds of civ- hundreds of thousands of civilians instigating a genocide or like a mass murderer. Yeah, give him a day. Yeah, if you're like a mass murderer or something, yeah. You can be more, yeah, be more outspoken. Yeah, I'm glad that uh, Osama bin Laden got shot, you know? Yep. No, 100%. But what I really found interesting about all these people on social media that were talking about Bobby Hall and all the atrocities he did, it's almost like they're acting as if he's the only guy. For fuck's sake, if you threw a rock in the Hockey Hall of Fame today, you would probably hit a guy who was an alcoholic, who had some skeletons in his closet. I go back to a comment my neighbor made about the NFL. He says, if we only supported the players who have zero skeletons in the closet, there would be seven players left. Right. But then I guess like the the other argument being, well, maybe that's more of an indictment of things that should change, but save that for the living not the dead yeah and i like yeah well bobby hall is alive it's like yeah fine like bring the heat give him the day he died and they definitely did that i remember i think it was last year i want to say it was the belleville senators it might have been one of the junior teams they tried to bring bobby hall in as i think it was like an ambassador or somebody for one of their games and everybody on social media was like, no, you can't do this because of this and this and this and this and this. And for myself, that's the time to do it. Yeah. Because like hockey, you that. want hockey to change. You got to get that. You got to, you can't really associate with those sort of people, right? It, it's, it really is. And it's one of these things like if Don Cherry died tomorrow, what is everybody going to say about him? Are they going to bring up the comments he made on TV? Or are they going to bring up all the good he actually did for minor hockey, for 
supporting the troops and everything that he ever did off of TV. You're going to see both. Exactly. And that's where I think people did not do with Bobby Hall. Um, Like I said, I think I'm like not, not condoning it. I'm not condoning it. I'm not supporting it. But you have to have that balance. Well, what I think happened, like it's what will probably happen is like if Don Cherry passed away, you'd have people who like Don Cherry posting about the good stuff he did and people who don't like Don Cherry are just going to focus on like the comments and stuff. Yeah. Which so is, you're going to get balanced just by looking through different sources, which is kind of the same thing that happened with Bobby Hall. Yeah. And right. it's the same thing that happens with politicians too. Like John McCain, for instance, uh, when he passed away, you had most people were posted, like most people, official officials, uh, even other politicians were, who might not have agreed with John McCain all the time, were posting positively about him. You had, and then you had people on Twitter who uh, do not like John McCain. Were po- like just aggressive about his philandering and war hawkishness. So it's like the same thing, right? Yeah. But I feel with going back to Don Cherry, I feel like if you made a poll on Twitter, it seems like the vocal majority of people on Twitter are not Cherry fans. They think, like, oh, he was a dinosaur. He was, a, you know, he was every comment in the book you want to make about him. Yeah. And you know what? If but the thing is, if you go back and watch some of those old coaches' corners and whatever, some of the comments you make, okay, you're watching those through the eyes of 2023. A lot of that stuff would not be accepted today. To be fair, some of the stuff he said in 1995 and 2007 got him in a lot of trouble. No, it did. But the thing is, if it was if it got him in that much trouble, why did CBC not let him go? And I yeah. feel that's where social media really comes into it because now everybody can post. Everybody now has an opinion. And you know what? You and I have both read stuff on social media that we don't agree with. We read stuff that we do agree with. And it's up to us to make that decision where we stand. And people have clearly made that decision with Grapes and they made that with Bobby Hall where they made they stood their ground and what they feel about him. Yeah. And it's just like, I guess it's like, I have no problem... I just think it's really just wait a day. Yeah. Just wait a day. That's it. Yeah. Like the Melnick comment you made there, that's spot on. Like we even said this on the podcast for how many years did we criticize Eugene? And then he dies. And the next week we name him our, our cover athlete. And we talk about like the senators would not be here today. Yeah. Without him. And then the next week we're back to criticizing the guy. Yeah, because the arth- the, the yeah. athletic article came out, right? You've got to talk about what's common and what's current. Well, yeah, common, current, and I think it's just there's something to be said for decency. Yeah, and I and, love and there's very few people who have done things that completely nullify that decency. Yeah, like for example, a guy that I mentioned, Alan Eagleson. If you go and read the stuff that he did to NHL players. And how much he screwed the players. I can understand that. He did some good. Sure. You can look at the Summit Series. You can look at the fact that now. He was Bobby Orr's agent. He got money out of the Bruins back in the day. But it will always come back to. What he ended up ended up doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. But again it's like even. 
even when Alan Eagleson does pass away, I'm sure like you wait a day. I'm like the only person where you like just go out immediately. Like the only one I can really think of in my lifetime is probably like Osama bin Laden, Saddam Hussein, like guys who whose actions or regimes have killed thousands to millions of innocent people. Yeah, Kim Jong Un. Kim Jong Un, yeah. No, that's very Tim. So like Tim, for no good reason. Yeah. No good reason. Yeah. No, 100%. And that was more of the, again, going back to what I said with some of the comments. I mean, even TSN 1200, a TSN Twitter account tweeted a, about him. He says that the guy passed away, but he was all of this. And they later deleted it. If somebody read that, it was like, what the hell are you doing? You're supposed to just announce he died. You're not supposed to give your fucking opinion on it. Yeah. Well, I think it's also like there's probably I guess it's also like on balance. Like. Yeah, just give it a day. Exactly. So, Tim, we're going to move away from talking about Bobby Hall and we're going to talk about some other news stories that thankfully don't have to do with death. Now, given that the NHL All-Star Game was this past weekend, Tim, the NHL have announced that Toronto will host the 2024 NHL All-Star Game. Toronto last hosted the All-Star Game in 2000. I mean, it makes sense to go back to Toronto, but actually, I don't know if you read. So, Dan O'Toole, former TSN sportscaster yep. and former interview guest on The Great White Experience, just saying, he made a tweet after this was announced, and he actually made a very good point. Uh-huh. Is with Toronto hosting the All-Star Game, instead of doing it at Scotiabank Arena, why okay. not do it at the newly renovated Rogers Centre? You have 40,000 people. You can do so much in Rogers, in Rogers Centre. I think that would be such a cool thing to do. Yeah, the, that could be nice. The seating would be terrible. But at the same time, it's also it is the All Star Game, so who cares? Yeah, but you know what? If Toronto really wants to do something very different, sorry, I'm just trying to uh, scratch my leg. But yeah, if Toronto really wants to do something bold and out of the box, this would be an interesting way to go. Because again, they got Justin Bieber being as their ambassador for the All Star Game, like the way that Drake was in 2016 when the NBA All Star Game came to Toronto. It's a different scenario of how yeah. that would out. But I think that'd be a very cool thing if you did it in the newly renovated Rogers Center. Yeah, that could be fun, yeah. Well, I think it's, like, probably just a smart idea to put it in Canadian, like, a city that might actually care about it. Yeah. And I get, like, the idea of rotating it around so, like, every team gets a chance to put it on and maybe you catch some people. But the I can't think of a single, like, any of the North American sports, I can't think of a single all-star game that appeals even to kids maybe the nba the the pro bowl sucks yeah oh no god the fucking pro bowl is terrible garbage the nba one is at least you have the dunk competition at least got the dunk competition it's at least an interesting because you definitely tell that the guys are they are going half speed that's no arguments there but some of like they'll throw a three from like halfway down the court they'll try and do something to entertain the fans 
Mm-hmm. The only All-Star game, and I will always defend this, the only All-Star game that's actually worth it is the MLB All-Star game. Is there anything on the line in the MLB one? or Sorry? Well, like, yeah, because they have, like, the Dinger Derby and stuff. That's actually kind of interesting. Oh, yeah, they got the Home Run Derby and the game itself. But I think what's really cool about baseball, actually, I was talking to a guy at work about this today. I think it would be a very... I don't think it would happen. I don't know how well it would work for the NHL. What if the NHL did what the MLB does for their all-star game? Uh-huh. Okay, get rid of the divisions. Go back to the conferences. Whoever wins the all-star game, that conference gets home ice advantage in the cup final. Doesn't the Pro Bowl do that? I think maybe I think because I thought the Pro Bowl, the winner of the Pro Bowl gets the coin. I'm not sure. It's the home field advantage at coin flip. That's a good question. I don't know. Because like, yeah, they have that and it sucks. Uh, Let's see here. Uh, What is the benefit of winning the Pro Bowl? Pro Bowlers can expect to receive their bonus pay within 15 days, according to the agreement under the. Oh, $116,000 for winning. Hmm. Oh wow, that really matters. Uh, yeah, it doesn't really say anything about the Pro Bowl. Yeah. Oh well, I might have just been wrong. Yeah. But yeah, it sucks. Yeah, I think it, it works for baseball. I don't think it would work for hockey. I don't I mean, think so either. Yeah. It would be kind of an interesting thing, but it is what it is, right? Huh. Although, can I say though, those jerseys are still fire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> love them. So, Tim, we've got a big trade to talk about this week. The Vancouver Canucks have traded Bo Horvat to the New York Islanders for forwards Anthony Bovier, Atu Ratti, and a credential 2023 first-round pick. Horvat recorded 31 goals, 23 assists for 54 points in 49 games for Vancouver, while Bovier recorded 9 goals, 11 assists for 20 points in 49 games, and Ratti recorded 2 goals for 12 games for the Islanders, respectively. It's a neat piece of work for the Canucks because Bo Horvat's a guy that they're just not going to sign. They they just weren't going to resign. They didn't have the money for he was asking. Bo Horvat's, I think, and I don't like the contract that the Islanders signed for. I don't like what they paid for him because Bo Horvat is riding a shooting bender. He has never shot this well in his career. His underlying metrics and under any other model except for Dom's are garbage. The guy is mediocre on the power play. And you're paying him eight million for eight years. Isn't it eight? eight, Sorry, eight and a half. You're paying him eight and a half for what will probably just be one season where he's shooting near the top of the NHL. That is not going to repeat itself. Yeah, you know what, though? I kind of get where Lou Lamorello is coming from here because you, you're wanting to make a trade, make a splash to spark your team to get into the playoffs. Yeah. But then there's the idea of signing him. And I know Lou Lamorello, which I don't think I've ever seen this. He openly came out and says, I can't believe I just paid this guy that. For yeah. Lou Lamorello to say that. Now, given Lou Lamorello is a guy who... If you look at his tenure with the Devils, if a player even remotely held out or wanted more money, he would say, get the hell out of my office. Or he would trade him. Yeah. Well, it's like, you can't, it looks bad to like, 
trade for a guy, have him play a game. He won't do your pro, he won't sign, and then you just trade him. Uh, that looks dumb, especially when you give up your fir- a first round pick, which could end up being a very good first round pick given the cap hell the Islanders are in. Yep. A pretty good prospect in Ratty <coughs> and a cap dump in Bolivier. I guess Bolivier doesn't really matter. No. He's he hasn't been good in years. Maybe he turns around Vancouver, although uh, seeing how New Jersey just kind of scored four goals in like a minute against them just now. Yeah, probably not happening. Yeah, it is what it is. Now, I do want to make one final comment about this Horvat trade before we head off into our next story. Is that I think it's really cool that the Bo Horvat trade cycle has come full circle. <laughs> now, hear me out on this. Okay? Everybody knows that Bo Horvat got selected fourth overall by the Canucks in 2013. The Vancouver Canucks originally did not hold that fourth pick. The team that held it was the New Jersey Devils, whose GM was Lou Lamorello. Yep. Who traded that pick to Vancouver for Corey Schneider. So Bo went to Vancouver instead of Jersey. He plays a full decade with the Canucks, and Lou Lamorello goes out and trades for Bo Horvat a decade after he traded the pick away. Just really wanted him, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see if that's... Because I'm not, I'm not going to lie. At this point, I don't think the Islanders are a playoff team. No. It's unfortunate because a couple of years ago, they were such the feel-good story of the NHL that came one win away from the finals. Yeah. And unfortunately, it just didn't work out. But you know what? I do got to praise the Horvat deal. I can at least praise on the level that it gives the Islanders some speed. Because back when I mentioned, I think it was an episode or two ago, when I saw the Islanders play the Kraken in Seattle, that's the one thing I noticed was how slow the Islanders really were. Yeah. It was like watching guys walk through sludge. Yeah. And the the one thing I've really noticed is like they never really replaced Jordan Eberle. So maybe Horvat's enough, but like that fight for the last spot <gasps> in the East is going to be brutal. Yeah. Especially with Florida tuning Tampa Bay tonight. I know it's going to be an absolute bloodbath right to the end. Get see who gets that last. Yeah, because like the Islanders have to jump Buffalo to get in and fend off Florida. Yep, and Ottawa is only what six points behind or whatever. Yeah, we're only two, only two games back on the Islanders. Yeah, and the Islanders have two games in hand. Sorry, we have two games in hand as well. So like, you have to fend off Florida, Ottawa. Yeah. While trying to jump Buffalo and one of Pittsburgh or Washington. It's going to be tough, man. It's going to be tough. So we're going to move away from talking about Lou Lamorello's New York Islanders. Talk about Lou Lamorello's former team, the New Jersey Devils. Their assistant, sorry, their associate coach, Andrew Burnett, was arrested in Boward County, Florida on a DUI charge. Burnett was also charged with disobey of a stop or yield sign. Andrew Burnett went on Bruce Cruise. Yeah. Oh, no. That's not even the craziest thing I've ever heard about a coach or a GM getting arrested. Did I ever, okay, did I ever tell you the GM of the Arizona Cardinals? Uh huh. Okay, so 4th of July weekend. Yeah. 
he gets pulled over. Yeah. He gets arrested for extreme DUI. Oh, was this like that hockey state, goalie? In the state of Arizona. How hammered do you, by the way, how hammered do you have to be to get arrested with extreme DUI? That's. What would, be, what would have to be your blood alcohol level? Let's look that up. Because, like, that is, actually, was that as high as Tommy Solo? Remember when Tommy Solo got arrested? Was that the one where he got arrested blowing 0.3? Oh, God, his blood alcohol was so high. And we we're looking at like him. it was like we were both looking at it. It's like, that's fatal. Like, dude, how is how are you not dead? Also, what a legend. No, I'm kidding. Uh, extreme DUI in Arizona is blowing between 0.15 and 0.199. Wow. Uh, it's class one misdemeanor, and I think you can act. Wait, if it's bounded between point one five, oh, if it's above point two, it becomes a super extreme DUI, which has forty five days of jail, ninety day license suspension, two thousand seven hundred dollars in fines, an ignition lock on your car for a year, mandatory driving lessons. And Alcoholics Anonymous. You know what? See, this is what our listeners come to find out, Tim. Extreme DUIs. Super extreme DUI. If you do it three, if you get three super extreme DUIs in seven years in Arizona, that's a felony. You lose your right to vote. Wow. I mean, would you want someone voting? If they go on a turbo booze cruise three times in seven years, do you want that person owning a gun? No. Although I imagine they're the kind of person that would take their lawnmower to the beer store. Yeah. Yeah. So class four felony. Dangerous fence. Aggravated maximum, yeah, yeah. So it's like, yeah, you you lose rights when you when you have a felony charge. Good lord, good lord. So we're gonna talk about a couple of Washington Capital re-signings. Washington Capitals have re-signed for Dylan Strome to a five-year, twenty-five million dollar contract with an AAV of five. Strome had recorded eleven goals, twenty-five assists for thirty-six points in fifteen games for Washington at the time of the signing. I, I like Strom as a player. Just really fits nicely into that system. And I'm surprised Chicago gave him away for free. And the price is right for Strom. I mean, Christ, they gave up to Brinkat for three draft picks. Yeah, like, but Chicago didn't even qualify this guy. Yeah, I don't know what Chicago was thinking. Like I'm, yeah, I'm surprised they didn't, they couldn't get an asset for a 25 year old guy who's a two three tweener. Yeah, and uh, you just get him nicely tied up. Washington Capitals have also re-signed forward Sonny Milano to a three year, five point seven million dollar contract with an AAV one point nine. Milano recorded eight goals, fourteen assists for twenty two points in forty games for Washington. At the time of the signing. This is another good signing for a guy that just 
also fell into Washington's lap. Like, Anaheim didn't bring him back, despite him and Trevor Zegers being fantastic with each other. Somehow, Calgary decides that he isn't as good as some third-line plug. <laughs> and he and he fails out of his PTO. And then Sonny Washington picks him up, and he's been great. Yeah, that's all you can really say, man. Just a couple of great re-signings for the Washington Capitals. Yeah, and it's one of those things where it's like, I'm a little surprised that he made it to a PTO and then came up again. So today we're going to move away from talking about one nation's capital to talking about Canada's national capital, Ottawa. Because we're going to close that top of the air by talking about some Ottawa Senator stories. Ottawa Senators have relieved Belleville Senators head coach Troy Mann of his duties after he reportedly gave Senators pre-scouting material to another NHL team. David Bell will serve as interim head coach. This is such a weird story. Because not like this whole story seems to be kind of being thrown all over the place because I haven't had a chance to watch it, but apparently there was a rather interesting deep dive again on the coming in hot podcast with uh, Brent Wallace, which might throw some of that story in doubt too. So this is definitely a story that's evolving and I don't want to say anything until it happens until it's done because God knows what will actually have end up being the true story. You know, I think the only thing I can really comment in this story is that I have yet to watch an episode of coming in hot with Brent Wallace. Apparently it's quite good. Yeah. Well, same with Wally Mathot. Like the Wally Mathot show was really good too. His Carlson interview is still the best. <laughs> I still love Math and Carlson going at it when Math's like, yeah, you know what, Eric? Instead of parking on my lawn, maybe you should park your car in the street. I'm not going to park my car in the street. Would <laughs> <laughs> do you park your car in the street? He's like, yeah, well, you know, that's what happens when you have such a small driveway. Well, yeah, it's because we have two vehicles in there already. Can't just park on my lawn. <laughs> Like, what do you mean? I did. Yeah, it's on your property, safe and sound. It's. I can't believe that's a real interview. Oh, God. you know what though? Going back to Wally Mathot, like Mathot's interactions with some of those former players he played with, like Eric and Zach Smith and Bobby Ryan and Craig Anderson, are all great because you can tell he's very calm and relaxed when talking to them. And they get some great banter, some great feedback. Even the Chris Neal one where. I want to see somebody put like I think it was I can't remember who it was somebody put a piece of fish under the hood of his truck. <laughs> oh, it just smelled. Oh God. Yeah. So we're gonna close off top of the hour, Tim, by talking about Omar Shabbat. The QMJHL's St. John's Sea Dogs have announced that they will induct Ottawa Senators defenseman Thomas Shabbat into the team's Hall of Fame in June. Shabbat's played four seasons with the Sea Dogs, recording 34 goals, 119 assists for 153 points in 202 games. Also, I love the fact that Thomas Shabbat, or not Shabbat, Brady Detrack wore his Shabbat jersey. <laughs> no, yeah, his Shabbat jersey when he got announced. Oh, I mean, that it's just fun. And Thomas Shabbat's been just a very good offensive defenseman wherever he's gone. And it's just kind of unfortunate that he's been stapled to Nikita Zaitsev for basically his entire life. 
Yeah, but you know what, though? We'll definitely talk about Thomas Shabbat in this one game we got to talk about tonight because I thought he looked fantastic against the yeah. And it's nice to see what happens when you're not either stable to a guy but not playing like 30 minutes a night. That too. All right, do you want to get at her? Absolutely. But before we do that, Tim, let's close off top of the hour, which can mean only one thing. It's time we start talking about some games. Now, like I said, we only got the one game to talk about this evening. The Sens versus the Canadiens. But before we do that, let's hit the music. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. <laughs> okay, Tim, let's talk about the lone game of the evening. Sens versus Canadiens. This is a 5-4 Senators victory. Sens goes recorded by Tim Stutzla with two, Claude Giroux, Alex Debrinkit, and Brady DeChuck. Canadiens goals are scored by Raphael Harvey Pinyard with two, Kirby Doc, and Mike Hoffman. Shot for 32-29 for the Canadians. So, even though we only had the one game to talk about this evening, I did have to condense it because Katrina was sick. I had to yeah. look after her and all that good stuff. But I did watch the condensed version. Let's <laughs> talk about the obvious thing we got to mention here. The Montreal Canadian jerseys. Do you know how many times they've won wearing that jersey? Zero. Have they? I don't think they've even gone to overtime. Those things are cursed. Oh, they have. Oh, they have. Okay. Once. I think they're o eight and one right now wearing those jerseys. Which, you know what? The more I look at them, I don't like them. Yeah, there's they should have just gone with a baseball jersey. Yeah, there's something about. I, I love the inspiration. I love that the Expo's inspiration, but it's a jersey you just look at and you're like, what the hell is that? Well, it's it's so half-assed. It's like the teal, like they just swapped the red with the teal. They're like, yep, that's it. We're done. And it's like, no, you got to do a bit more. Like, imagine if it was just like a pinstripes with a half logo on it. That would have worked. Mm -hmm. but no no effort was put in dog shit jersey but man this was such a frustrating game to watch because like Ottawa comes out right out of the gates and for most of the first period they are absolutely taking it to Montreal and then you get some ticky tacky penalties in the first period to keep Montreal in it and then all of a sudden Ottawa just the discipline game is gone. They keep going to the sin bin and it's a game that shouldn't be a game. And then Ottawa just disappears for most of the third period. Just frustrating to watch. So sorry, go back to what you were saying about the jerseys themselves, the pinstripes. Okay. So here's a picture of Vladdy Guerrero senior. Okay. Imagine the old school, like I guess the late 90s or 2000s home expo jerseys with Canadians. Yeah. Yeah, like just make a an interest like a take on the baseball load uniform, but with a hockey jersey would have been interesting. But nope. But yeah, getting back to the game, like despite Forsberg's like Forsberg didn't play well. Jake mm -hmm. Allen played bad. Like I like the first two goals, there was like <laughs> nothing he could have done. Like Montreal just like the Habs were just not there. Really, there was only five players who were there for the Habs. 
But those players were on a fucking mission. Suzuki, Anderson, Pinard, Matheson, and and Yulanen. That's it. Yep. Everyone else was useless. But those guys, like those four guys, whenever they're on the ice, it was just, it's almost as if someone pissed in their Cheerios to the tune of 5 nothing two days before. I wonder who that was. I'm not sure, but the one thing I could do, I gotta, ah, fuck, sorry, English is hard. The one <laughs> thing I do gotta comment, though, is that when I looked at the roster of the Canadians players, there were some names that I read, and I'm like, that's not a real guy. That's clear. You know, back in the day of, like, the NHL 12, yep. NHL 10, you know when you had, like, the computer-generated names for the draft? Some names yeah. that were so out of there, you're like, that's not a real person. Well, there was just names that I did not recognize, like Belzeal never saw. That's a name I haven't seen before. Pizzata. Harvey Pinyard. Uh, well, Harvey Pinyard, he's good. Never like, he him. played a good game. Uh, yes, he and did. hopefully, like for the Habs' sake, hopefully he's good for them. Arbor Jacki is fucking useless. I know he's living in my brain rent-free. But he is the sort of player that should not be in the NHL because he's going to get outworked on every shift. So he overcompensates by dirty hits, including hits that he should have been penalized more than he was, especially for some questionable hits on Shabbat and Brady Kachuk. Mm -hmm. Like that's the sort of player who gets people hurt in the NHL. And I don't care if you can make his nickname sound like a Wi-Fi password or you worked at fucking Costco. Yeah. He is the last person you want in the NHL. Yeah. Well, what if he was bagging your groceries at Costco, though, Tim? I don't know. Then I wouldn't care because he's not. It's not like he's taking my groceries and smacking them around the register. You don't know that. Okay, if he's taking my groceries and smacking them around the register, I'd have a problem with him. That's fair. But one guy I don't have a problem with, Tim. Tim Stutzla, two goals, two assists for four points, and three shots. For, okay, first of all, that first goal. I got to praise Brady on that. Just a little like flip off the boards to Matthew Joseph, who just like this reverse spinorama. There's nine out of 10 times that would not work. Yep. And there's no way that it would go through a defenseman's legs. It was such a cool attempt though. Matthew Joseph almost had a shorthanded goal that probably would have put the Habs to bed in the first period. Like the Habs, it's just like really sloppy passing. Easily intercepted. Joseph's just down the other end of the ice. And uh, if Jake Allen hadn't just completely crossed the net, it would have been three nothing sends in a way they went. Now, a guy I mentioned earlier, we're talking about the St. John, John Sea Dog story. Thomas Shabbat, three assists and four shots. Guy, he looks like such a different player when he's not playing half a game. That's the one thing I really noticed in this game was that. He is such a smooth skating defenseman when he has the puck and he's confident that you watch it. And it's, I don't want to say it's infuriating. We don't see that every game, but you can't blame him when you're playing 31 minutes a night. Yeah. And they gave Sanderson 23 minutes and admittedly it wasn't Sanderson's best game. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of the success of that, uh, of uh, Harvey Pienaard, uh, Suzuki and Anderson came from, mistakes by the Sanderson Hamannick duo duo and neither of them were particularly great 
Uh, one thing that was a bit unfortunate is just Brandstrom and Holden, despite playing very well, just didn't see that much ice time. I'm wondering if Brandstrom was hurt. Could be. Because it was 10 minutes for Brandstrom and 15 for Holden. And, like, Holden was playing fine. Now, the one last guy I want to talk about here, and I mentioned him a minute ago, Brady Chuck. One goal, one assist for two points on four shots. Really liked his game in this one. Like I said, that nice bounce off the boards on this first dude's goal. The 5-4 goal. Yeah. This is a moment, and this is, you gotta admit, it was pretty funny. The Stutzers are cheering along the glass. The Fabs are flipping them off. Like the Habs fans are flipping them off. So Stutzler just punches the glass. So he's like, yeah, fuck you. Well, it's so funny too because Brady's just like, come on, man, just laugh at them. And then uh, Stutz is like, oh, yeah. And then skates off back to the bench laughing. Because, like, so like Harvey Pinar scores the second. And then, like, a few, not even a few minutes later, the Sens are just taking control of the game again. And it was just this really weird, and it was really, the game was supremely frustrating to watch because the Sens are obviously the better team. They just weren't engaged for most of this game. Mm -hmm. And I don't like seeing that. Like, sure, it's your last game before like a two-week break. Yeah. But you got to be engaged, especially... If you want to make back the ground that you need to make back to stay in the playoff race. Yeah. But on the other hand, this is, I think, the second time that Ottawa has been above 500 this season. 24 and 23. 24 and 23. And they're on a four game winning streak. Granted, two of those are against Montreal and one of them was against quite possibly the worst I've seen Toronto in a very long time. Yeah, we mentioned that on last week's episode, though. Yeah, but if they can stretch this out to six or seven, then depending on what Florida, Buffalo, and the Islanders do, they might be in play again. Mm -hmm. So, Tim, I don't have any more comments to make on this game if you want to head after the close. No, I'm good. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug, Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it, because believe me, Tim and I love record it for you. You can find the show on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Play, as well as you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Third Line Plug. You can find me on both at Great White Gipster, and you can find Tim on Twitter at M901 Honey Badger. So, for the game of the week, Tim, and I'm not, I'm not kidding, it's one game. <laughs> again Saturday versus Edmonton it'll be interesting for sure it will I do want to make one final comment before we head off into the close for the episode mm-hmm. a comment you made last week about your views on sports gambling yep and you said that Rafi was has argument about it our bot Adam actually emailed us with the nice. same thing he totally agreed. Like it, him being a big CFL fan, he totally agrees with you and Rafi. He totally gets what we're talking about. So it's always nice to hear from Adam. Yeah. And it's definitely something that I get heated about. Oh, yes. Like that and the skip the dishes commercial with Katy Perry. 
Yeah. I hate that commercial so much. Anything I've ever said nice about Katy Perry, delete it. Gone. Not valid. Hater. Hate that commercial. <laughs> Someone should take her Super Bowl performance away. Just keep Left Shark. Just keep Left Shark. He did nothing wrong. <laughs> oh, uh, gotta love Left Shark. Left Shark is great. But yeah, just. <sighs> That's all we gotta say, Tim. I hate that ad. I think I am actually less likely to order Skip the Dishes now than I was before that air ad aired. I use DoorDash. I, I don't really use them that often, to be honest. That's fair. Honestly, I've only used it a handful of times. It's not bad. Yeah. Until next week, guys. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. And this has been Tim Jetsy. Ghost. Woo!